Next Chapter Podcasts. Today on a very special episode of The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. I don't think a song has ever touched me or brought up emotion the way that this one has. Man, I love it. The Golden Age by Beck off his 2002 album Sea Change. It's also number 436 out of 500 on the Spotify Ridge, The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Hey, Kadoogly Dooglies. Go hope you guys are having a Doogle Doogle week as you are now members of the Fleece Army for listening to the only podcast that's going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. Before we go any further, I just want to say I'm thinking about everybody in the Bryant family. It's a really, really sad day here in Los Angeles and around the world, man. Kobe Bryant was one of, uh, I mean, the greatest basketball players to ever live. So many great moments. I mean, as a Wizards fan, I think it was December 17, 2006, watching Kobe go against Gilbert Arenas. Kobe dropped like 45. Gilbert dropped 60. It was one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And it's kind of apropos that this is the album that we're doing today on such a such a sad week. And I love each and every one of you guys, man. If you're if you're hurting out there, like I'm with you, just listen to this record because this will bring up all of the feels. Released on September 24th of 2002 and produced by Nigel Godrich, Sea Change is the eighth studio album by LA alternative folk, anti-folk, art rock, Americana artist Beck Hansen. Since breaking through on the music scene with his hit single Loser in 1994, Beck's subsequent albums touched on genres as diverse as sample-based alternative pop, country twang, dreamy psychedelica, and Prince-inspired funk. It was in 2000, after the tour for his 1999 album, Midnight Vultures, that Beck returned home and found an email from a musician from a local L.A. band, Whiskey Biscuit, to his girlfriend of nine years and fiancé, stylist Lee Lyman, that confirmed their affair. It was only a few weeks before Beck's 30th birthday. The relationship ended, and Beck was heartbroken, betrayed, and in an introspective mood. So he threw himself into writing almost all 12 acoustic-based songs for this record in about a week. Unlike his previous work, which often relied on cryptic and whimsical lyrics, these songs directly and frankly dealt with his longing and painful feelings. The songs were similar with the stark breakup subject matter of Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks and Marvin Gaye's Here, My Dear, which we did on the podcast not too long ago. However, at that point, he felt that they were more of a cathartic and therapeutic experience and too personal to share, so he shelved them. By 2001, he was ready to put them down with producer Nigel Godrich, but 9-11 upended the world. In January of 2002, Beck attempted to record them with producer Dan the Automator Nakamura, but those sessions didn't come together. A few months later, Nigel Godrich returned, and Beck went into the studio in March with his usual roster of musicians. Keyboardist Roger Joseph Manning Jr., bassist Justin Metal Johnson, drummer Joey Waronker, and guitarist Smokey Hormel. He was also joined by cellist Susie Katayama, R&B drum hero James Gadson, and multi-instrumentalist John Brion, and guitarist Jason Faulkner, who had both been in the Greys and had both played with Roger Manning in the legendary band Jellyfish. 
Beck's father, the famous composer David Campbell, arranged and conducted the string arrangements on all the songs. Inspired by French musical artist Serge Gainsbourg's 1971 concept album, History de Melody Nelson, the sound of the record would be acoustic-based and showcase Beck's role as a singer-songwriter as opposed to an art-pop artist. Even then, they ran overtime and had to sneak back in between sessions for Joni Mitchell, who took over the studio. After three weeks of recording and a couple months of mixing, 12 new songs and one remake of a previous single were complete. One song was cut from the album, but the rest reflected everything Beck had gone through. The term sea change means a transformative shift in perspective, and retailers were concerned that the sea change in Beck's sound would limit the record's commercial appeal. In preparation and to promote sea change, the songs were released in album order weekly during July and August of 2002 on Beck's website. Although it only peaked at number 8 on Billboard's chart, it was given a glowing 5-star review and picked as Album of the Year by Rolling Stone magazine. This melancholy masterpiece has gone on to be considered one of Beck's most personal and respected out of his 14-album career to date. And my guest today agrees with me that this is one of the best records ever made. My buddy, Nick Thune. You know him from his two specials on Amazon Prime, Folk Hero and Good Guy. He was just on The Tonight Show. He is an incredible comedian. And it was so great to be able to sit down and just talk about how important this album was to both of us. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 436 out of 500 with Sea Change by Beck. Cause it's Nick Thune And it's Nick Thune And a Nick Thune A Nick Thune Not nothing And I want to be a good friend (laughs) It's my favorite thing to do Is sing people in and just look at them Stare at me and just be like I mean I had the next lyric I think right you're very, very close to it. No, but this is, but we're throwing them out. That's, <laughs> it's about you. All right. So, so, so tell me about your relationship with Beck. Like, how did you first get into him? Well, <clears throat> see, I'm born, I'm born in 79 and I'm from Seattle. Fuck yeah, dude. Me too. Yeah. The Carter administration. We got, yeah. we got like, I'm November. When were you? December. December. Dude, we got like one month. I know. Carter. <laughs> the 70s were crazy for me, you know? Oh, yeah. December dude. 79, just <laughs> shitting t- yourself. And titties <laughs> everywhere. Titties. Oh, it was wild. <laughs> what a wild time that was. <laughs> Great decade. <laughs> Every nap I woke up from shit in my diaper, titties in my face. So it's, it's like what Keith Richards did say, yeah. around the same time. Yeah, it's, yeah, he hit that at a later point in life. Um, you know, so Beck, I would say Loser was like the first time that I was like, I fucking love. Like I liked guitar before, and I liked um, a lot of old older stuff like Neil Young. Um, but nobody my in my generation, I felt like like as far as musicians, like as hip guys that you're gonna see on MTV, yeah, were nailing it. And then Loser hit, and I just thought like that's 
fucking kill. Like, yes. Oh, I remember the exact moment I saw Loser. I, I didn't. I didn't gravitate to it right away. But my friend Mike Barbarisi, who was like kind of like that, <clears throat> the Beck of our high school, was just so obsessed with it. Dude, and- the second I heard that guitar, bam, 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 I was just like, "What? Yeah, is this?" And then like just the way his voice, because I, I, I've always wanted to be a lead singer. <clears throat> But I just don't have the voice. I mean, I, I can do a certain thing, and it's unique, but I don't really want to make something, you know. But he, at that point, I was like, man, I could do that. I, like, not like I'm as good as Beck, but like, oh, that voice makes me feel like I, I could be a part of this thing. Like, I could sing like that. You yeah, know, like it's a like, loser. It, it was Beck's voice to you was like me hearing Scott Weiland sing from Stone Temple Pilots and being like, oh, I can do that, like guttural, like, hey, I don't hear. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, this <laughs> album was, it, it, it's actually what turned me, this is going to be a really full circle thing here because it actually is what turned me um, more into Nirvana because as a Seattle kid, I think I took advantage of the beginning of Nirvana just because I just thought they were a local band and I just didn't think I didn't realize the influence they had on the world. It's the same way I felt about Ken Griffey Jr. I was just like, wow, he's a great baseball player. But he's mine. He's Seattle. Like our hometown hero. And he's then he was else. on The Simpsons and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like- and so at the time he was the most famous baseball player. Yeah. And Kurt Cobain was the most famous rock star. Yeah. And somehow they're both in Seattle. So that just, I didn't understand that that was like everywhere. Yeah. Um, but last night I saw all of Nirvana. I saw that, yeah. Sands, Kurt Cobain with Beck singing and St. Vincent. Yeah, I saw, I, my friend posted a bunch of videos from that. It was probably incredible, right? It was insane. Yeah. And la- and then Beck told the story about how he saw them play at the Palladium, and he it was like the most insane mosh pit he's ever been in, and he came out, and his hands were all bloody, and and then they went in. I mean, it was just so cool. It was so cool. Yeah. And um, But this specific Beck album was... I like I, I got so loser kind of turned me into rock and then like sabotage like Beastie Boys and I kind of I like to put Beck and Beastie Boys in in almost a similar ca- yeah, category, category because each album speaks to a different audience like because I I heard um, loser it's like Jesus Christ and then Deborah <clears throat> and when I heard Deborah and heard him sing in falsetto and heard this kind of soulful song about like this chicken a Honda. You know, yeah. like I was like, "Wow, this guy's speak. His lyrics are me." I my friend Zanc- drives yeah. a Honda, Zanku chicken. <laughs> chicken. I mean, it's 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 incredible. Yeah, and then Sea Change though was my um, Harvest Moon. It was like it it came out and um, Lost Cause was just like epic. Um, I never looked at it as a relationship album, however. I would say in the last two years, so I've been sober um, from alcohol and drugs since October 2018. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, thank you. It was a brutal, brutal ride. Regular sober or L.A. sober, meaning you Regular. do mushrooms and smoke weed and you'll do other drugs if people All offer sober. them. I will All sober. Go down Good for a, you, brother. I, it's, it's bad. I would be bad. I yeah. did a lot of drugs and alcohol. And alcohol is oh, my I've main seen thing. you on a festival before. I've, it's, you're, you're a fun dude. <laughs> you are a fun motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, still am. Still am fun, I hope. But... Um, <laughs> I would say that I connected that album to alcohol, my relationship with alcohol towards the end. I would lock myself into my office and just drink two bottles of vodka in a day and 
listen to music and cry because my friend my friend passed uh, Richard Swift. Yeah. Um, who's I mean, if you're listening to this and you haven't ever listened to Richard Swift, you should. He you know he played in the Black Keys and the Shins, but he's a producer in his own right, and his albums are in, insane. Um, and th- this whole Lost Cause, all of these albums, um, all these songs on that album to me were alcohol, and my relationship with alcohol, and so it it kind of caused this. It was when I was really realizing how much of a lost cause I felt like, you know, because of it. I hate using lyrics like that, but, you know, that's when you're drunk as fuck and you're lying on a ground in a in Glassell Park in an office area, you know, yeah. it it just took me d- deep and dark. And it's what it's what helped me because, you know, you got to go through that. You got to go through it to get out of it. And yeah. I think that's what helped me get through it. Yeah. Through so, the dark. So so that's so that's so interesting that that you're taking that from this record and not like i'm like shocked it's just that's the power uh, of music that's the power of art is that it can be interpreted 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 in many different ways so well and alcohol was like my lover in a way yeah oh it dude it's uh, the 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 relationship that i had with like oxys like if i i mean trust me i listened to this record uh for every breakup I ever went through and every <clears throat> single time I listened to it it was like the album was being written for me do you know what I mean the emotions that I had I listened to it when I was going through opiate detoxes and it's and it's still it was because there's a there's 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 something about this album that and let me just say what it is it's our, our album is number 436 out of 500 it's the eighth studio album sea change by Beck Released September 24th, 2002, produced by Nigel Godrich, uh, who's produced every Radiohead record, uh, a lot of different Beck records. He's in Adams for Peace. He's, he's one of my favorite producers. Uh, and you can see his stamp all over this record. Um, so, so my love for Beck, much like you, started with Loser, but I was like only kind of in. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until Odelay. Odelay was the record that I wore the fuck out. You're talking about drinking. What I used to do was when I when I was in junior college, my my parents had a liquor cabinet and I never was used to getting out of school at 2 p.m. So I would just go home and just pour like a big thing of vodka, like a splash of orange juice, and then like chug it and then put on my headphones and walk over to my friend's house. Uh, and then one time I stopped doing that because I fell asleep in the road and then... <laughs> You know, I mean, which is not we all know is not a good spot. Not to a sleep. good, not a good spot. Not on a windy one. Straight line, yeah. But yeah, I was on a worse places like a runway. Oh or, my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I just loved him. And then as I was entering the rave scene, I, I that was when Midnight Vultures came out, mm-hmm. and it was just like you know, like Hollywood freaks. It was just I remember just like taking ecstasy and doing ketamine and just listening to that record. And then like you, I saw him live and he brought the bed down when he did Deborah. And I was just like in love with this guy. And then it's like, he puts this record out. And the funny thing is I just wasn't into it right away. I liked the more upbeat stuff. Mm -hmm. So this record really came into my life when I met my friend Angelo. So Angelo Bowers, of course, is uh, the reason I do the podcast. Angelo just loved music so much, and he knew how much I loved Beck. 
but so he was the one he's like so like you know so like what do you think of sea change and i'm like yeah i mean it's good and he's like oh my god are you are you nuts like it's mm-hmm. his best album this is his blood on the tracks and it's like mm-hmm. out of all the records that we've done so far on this list this is the only one that i really really knew ahead of time that i loved uh this isn't my favorite record of all time this isn't though uh but i have listened to this record uh about a thousand times um any mood that i'm listening to it i can i can i can be happy i can be sad i can be introspective whatever it is well beyond the music with it too the artwork what do you I mean the fucking uh, the cover love and... the cover that to me was that was a <clears throat> kind of a prolific I, I mean not prolific but like a um i don't know this the cover stood out to me in a way choosing pink um his face like the the contrast of the colors it I, I've sent that in for like almost every album at some point. Like I want to do something like this. And then we always end up going a different direction. Yeah. But, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's just everything about it is perfect. Uh, I, and, and it's funny, like that you were talking about it. It, it, it represents your relationship with alcohol and drugs. But I mean, this was Beck pouring his, his heart into his art. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because this, you can just imagine how he felt it's a nine-year relationship he's been with this person and now it's it's over i mean and the lyrics do not shy away from the way he's feeling this is i think you could sit there and fucking say that you know where it's at or any of the the beck hip-hop songs deborah whatever the fuck it is are these brilliant lyrics this is the best shit he's ever written lyrically Mm -hmm. this is beck being being a poet and i think it is gut-wrenching and uh, it's simple very simple. It's just, it's like I said, it is, in my opinion, probably one of the best breaker records ever made. Well, this is what everybody in every form of art strives to do at one point, is to make something simple enough that people relate in that sense, right? Yeah. It's easy to digest because of the lyrics, but also it's not simple because it's so hard to make something simple. Everybody's clouding and and everything's a distraction. Everything's complicated. And to, to, to wipe all of that away and be like, what's the simplest version of this? You know, like I think about that with auditions, with acting, like stop trying to like fucking move your arm. Like, don't think about this shit. What's the simplest way to say this yeah. and do that? Cause that's what they want. That's what the most honest way is. Right. Yeah. And that's what this album is to me. It's just simple. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses 
all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's just jump into it. Yeah. Because because it's so great. All right. So it opens with the golden age and it just touches me. And I get so choked up just anytime I hear this opening guitar stroke. Uh, Peter, play the intro to the first line. I've, I've talked about this before. I don't know if I've said it on a podcast before, but you want to talk about these perfect moments in your life. And, you know, I lost Angelo and it's lit, which is so crazy that we're doing this literally three days after he died. Well, three days, I mean, from the eight year anniversary, that would be tough God, if I, I was like, been- I just got out of the hospital. I'm like, ah, let's fucking, let's do sea change. Eight um, years, God. I know it's been eight years. And, one of my favorite moments, if not my favorite moment in my whole life, was being a new comic. We were probably in the first year. I had my old Jeep. I had the top off. It's it's about 5, 6 p.m. So the sun is starting to come down, and we're driving up the grapevine mm-hmm. to go to Valencia and to do this show at Beer Academy, and we put this on. What time of year was it? <sighs> It's it's at the it's at the time that like six seven o'clock it's like it's magic hours so yeah. it just just the sky is like orange and pink mm-hmm. and we put this on and Ange and I don't say anything we just both put our hands out to fist bump and we didn't look at each other nothing it was just that little moment right there it's like I think about that nonstop and anytime I hear this song it just takes me right back to that feeling of of invincibility of like, you know, of wonder because it's like, we're both new comics and people are like talking about us and we're so excited to just even be in the LA comedy scene. And we're driving to a, to a, a bar, a shitty bar show, but that felt like performing at Madison square garden for us. Mm-hmm. It just carries so much weight. Yeah. Just to the view and everything. And I mean, you that slide guitar is also just something that you weren't used to hearing. I think much out of, like it, I don't know, you didn't hear it that much. It wasn't well, huge. not from not from Beck. No, I mean not from not from Beck. I mean in Mutations, he's he's doing a lot of acoustic shit. But it's it's this this there's this to me feels like this is Beck introducing you into what this journey of this record is going to be. And that slide guitar is is just another little nuance uh, of just letting you be comfortable because I mean, dude, listen to these lyrics. Cause the first, well, the first, the, cause if you look at it, so he goes through one, he goes through one, um, whatever the measure, right. And it's four chords and it starts with a, a major and then it goes to a diminish. And that's where you're like, okay, this song has depth to it right yeah. away. And then when it comes back to the major and that hits, because I, I love like in little ones we'll get to eventually, but the the cor- it's all just minors until the chorus and it just pumps and yeah. you're like oh fuck yeah and it like hits like really hard and this is a great way like I don't know just shows you like oh this song has levels oh for sure uh, but here, here's these lyrics it's a treacherous road with a desolated view there's distant lights but here they're far and few and the sun don't shine even when it's day. You got to drive all night just to feel like you're okay. Uh, what do you do to keep your mind off of something that's consumed you? Well, I mean, music. <laughs> Play guitar, listen to music, um, walk. 
Uh, I do like to drive, but not as much in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, and as yeah, it's hard to have a golden age drive in Los yeah. Angeles, especially when you're like, Jesus Christ. What I mean, the it's fuck? not too you far. You hit the two and you get up to Angeles Crest or something. It's yeah. not bad. But when I was in Seattle, there was a drive that I would do all the time and listen to music. And it was just around this Lake Sammamish that was like in this Redmond where I grew up. And you just drive around the lake, man. I had a friend that was like, you want to ride around the lake? Yeah, we just hit the car and drive. And listen to whatever. Was there, was we there like, weed involved? Probably some Green Day involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, I'm just having a real heavy day. You want to get in the car to drive? A little yeah, dookie? Dude. Yeah. <laughs> do you have the time? <laughs> it's magic hour. You're like, God, it's so beautiful. You have like that moment I had with Angelo. And it's just, <laughs> it's in a different world. <laughs> yeah. But I would say that, you know, in, in Los Angeles, well, alcohol, though, was really what was my you know, my coping. It was like the thing that just could I'd be like, all right, I can stay in this as long as I'm drinking. So what do you do to cope with that, that, that addiction now? Like, like, what are you, what are you doing? Are you meditating? Are you doing any like, like I, healing properties to your life? Yeah. Meditation. And also, you know, I'm, I'm in the program. So like going to meetings and talking to being of service, you yeah. know, like checking on people, making sure they're doing okay. Um, in the, within the program, but learning to self soothe is just, this thing where when I was using other things to soothe for so long. So something that's healthy is music. Something that's healthy is walking um, or talking, you know, grocery shopping also is like a weird thing that I like to do. Dude, you, you want to do something fun? Next time you go to the grocery store, go to the cheese aisle and, you know, grab one of those like tubes of goat cheese. And just as you shop through the rest of the store, just squeeze that goat cheese. Oh, it's like a stress. It's like, dude, it's, it's, we were talking about me and Ange. Me and Ange mm-hmm. used to walk around supermarkets. We used to go to Rock and Roll Ralph's. And, oh, God. Because yeah, we just I used wanna, to shop there. All we the just want to, like, we just want to riff and, or he, we want to look at magazines and find jokes. And the first thing we would do is go grab a tube of goat cheese. And then you just have that thing, man. See, that's what I love is when you have a friend. <laughs> it's, it's when you have a friend where you know, like, I have certain friends where I'm like, you want to go get a coffee? And I know we're going to have a great time. Like, I know we're going to get in. We're not in a rush to go anywhere. Let's sit down. Let's talk about that guy over there. What the fuck is he doing? Uh, something really cool about this is the chorus line, uh, which was the working title for this song, is lifted uh, from George Jones' 1975 Country Weeper, These Days I Barely Get By. Um yeah, you can see a lot of the the country influence in this record from back. All right, that goes into the song that you had brought up earlier, Paper Tiger. <clears throat> now, on this one, Beck seems to find some hope in the frailty of his situation. Uh, like, once he's hit rock bottom, he can't get any lower and can start to get up. And the sound of this song closely resembles French musician Serge Gainsbourg's 1971 song, Melody. Hmm. Uh, I think the real star of this song is the string arrangements, which, uh, little known fact, uh, was recorded live with the rhythm section, uh, with the help of Beck's father, David Campbell. Uh, here, play uh, a little bit of the uh, of that shit. <laughs> So why is this one of your favorites? The reason that I love this song is because of the term paper tiger. You know, like I actually didn't know that like it was a common thing. Like people talk, refer to a paper tiger. And when you talk about there there gives hope, I guess the frailty of the situation, the frailty of this thing, this, this thing that we know as a tiger, 
and this paper it was like my alcohol. It really was my alcoholism. And since I went to a, a mental institute and a rehab when I was 17. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I, um, I knew there was an out. I knew that at some point I could just say, I'm, I'm ready. You know, and that was kind of what the song showed. Also, I would find in this song, like at any moment I could say the problem is, though, is when people relapse and they get deep back into it, you're never. Yeah, you know, there's an opportunity out, but you're maybe not going to make it to it. You know, death. that's where death. Yeah. Kind of, you know, and that's what happened with my friend Richard when he passed. Um, he just didn't get out quick enough and the alcohol took him. What was your rock bottom? Like what what was that moment that made you quit? Well, I had Lyme disease and Ticks? I. I had, had a ticks? tick. I got a tick because I was. I went to the the quarry in uh, Breaking Away in that you know that old bicycle movie. Oh yeah, dude. I got a tick. I didn't know about for like a week or two, but um, I was going to this doctor and they had to do all these blood tests and the doctor basically said, uh, "You're gonna die. Your liver. You have this amount of enzymes. You're only supposed to have like point zero one percent of what you have. Um, it's bad and it's happening now." You know, and I, I was like going through these weird, like body half numb for half the day, waking oh. up like all this weird stuff. And I mean, cause I was really drinking it and I was drink driving down San Fernando Boulevard, pulling off a fifth of Tito's, Oof. like just not even trying to put it into a cup, just begging for somebody to find me. And, um, I went from this doctor's appointment in Malibu. I parked off the side of a Canyon, I think came in or something. And I just walked into the canyon with a bottle. And then I kind of got down to the bottom and I thought, well, where are my cars parked? If I decide not to die down here, they might give me a ticket. <laughs> and so I went back up to my car yeah. and um, drove. I've never been more blackout drunk. Like I don't really remember to the bottom of the canyon, which is something that I'm still in shock that you survived. Yeah, and that other people survived and how selfish and just how horrible that was. And then I called a friend, my friend, my riding partner, Kevin Flynn, and then he called my manager, Dave Becky. And uh, Dave just sent somebody to, my, to take me away. I just said, take me away, man. My fucking hands are up. He said, put your keys on your back tire. Walk as far away from your car as you can. Drop a pin and we'll be there. <laughs> so somewhere that happened and then i got taken and i got immediately rushed to the hospital um after well two days they i was dying i was having you know tremors and all that stuff and they rushed me in naked around 4 a.m and they found me in the backyard of the rehab center naked it was like one of the celebrity rehab huge shit. soft penis i bet your penis just <laughs> no no blood in it is still enormous tall skinny white guy yeah you know it's it's a it's, you and dave becky middle of the road yeah dude oh it's, <laughs> it's my paper tiger it's uh you know it looks big but in the same time it's people you know, like, when you're drinking you can't get full blood into it so it's it's, it's, it's really pretty <laughs> i'll say that <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that, so that's where I kind of, that's how I got out of it. But I don't know, paper tiger, just also the, the riff, the song, like, yeah, it's, it's deep, man. It really is deep. It, it, it definitely, it definitely cuts into, to me when I hear it. If you don't know what the term paper tiger is, it comes from the Chinese and it means something that seems fierce and powerful, but can't stand up to the challenge. Um, yeah, man. Uh, I'm so happy that you're sober, man. Oh yeah, you look great. Thank dude. you. And I feel and way and better. Your dick looks fucking, <laughs> wow, just fucking beautiful, dude. Thank you. Uh, and I didn't know we were doing this pantless. I, well, you know, it gets hot in here, dude. It gets really, <laughs> it really hot in here. Does. All right, uh, that goes into <laughs> guess I'm doing fine. Uh, this was the second oh, single. Oh, so good. Such a great song. 
I think this song is less about the perseverance uh, than it is about the acceptance of the brokenhearted state in which he finds himself. Like, with all the sad feelings, he has to act like he's okay, and you can hear it in the chorus. So, Peter, play the chorus for me. As far as this song, I I have experienced this a million times where it's, you know, the only, it's only lies I'm living. It's only the tears that I'm crying. Uh, it's only you that I'm losing. Yep. Guess I'm doing fine. It's just like, you have to put on this, this facade. So after, after the car accident, uh, you know, everybody was, was around me and I was in the hospital and I was on hardcore like opiates. I was mm-hmm. on, I mean, the good shit, dude, like fentanyl, uh, Dilaudid, uh, proud sponsor of the 500 Dilaudid, everybody, Dilaudid, yeah. you know, uh, don't get forget, you out use, of a hard time and <laughs> use promo code constipated <laughs> and, uh, get 50% off your next order. But I was, I was like lost but then i immediately jumped back into stand up i got i got out of the hospital i was in there for 2 weeks i get out of the hospital and they they gave me my prescription for oxys oxycontin and i just went right back to stand up and everybody just was like are, are you sure about this man like you know you and i'm like nah no nah, it's it's great little did everybody know because everybody was just like no i i guess he seems okay well that was the opiates talking um do you lie to yourself do you uh, like what's the biggest lie you've you you remember telling to yourself to get you through it? You know, I'm I, I was actually brutally honest with myself most of the time. I, I never thought, oh, it's not that bad. It's it's just always I knew it's bad. It's only going to get worse. There's no getting better. Yeah, I would I would watch like this sounds so silly, but like I would turn on like Sports Center or something or some news, and a guy's talking that's obviously sober giving the news at his job. And I thought, how the fuck does he do that? Yeah. I'm never sober. I'm nev- I was never <sighs> sober for maybe five years. Like, there was never a moment where my body was clean of it was, it was weed, it was pills, it was just whatever you get your hands on just to keep yeah. it going through, yeah. Yeah. I, I talk about this in the Crab Feast fans, like, from, you know, Ryan and Jay. Uh-huh. Uh, they were, they were, I was telling this story, and I was like, you know, just I did a little bit of Coke, had a couple beers, you know, just trying to maintain and, and that's the way that, that addicts live, where it's like, all right, well, I can't drink now because if I drink, I'll get so wasted. So let me just take, what is this, a Xanax? Perfect. And that will be the next five hours until I can drink. Yes. Or whatever. So I Because complete- it hits the same receptors in your brain as alcohol does. So what about now? How are you, Do you ever lie to yourself now? No, man. I be, Well, because of recovery and because of therapy and because of all the things I'm going through, um, I... I'm really dealing with it as it happens. I'm not running away from shit. I'm not hiding. I'm not locking myself into places where I, people can't find me. Yeah. And th- I'm sure he's doing something because I'm always kind of like making or doing something that people just give me a, the benefit of the doubt that I'm doing something. Yeah. You know, when really I was just drinking. But very honest because the only, like I said earlier, the only way out is through and I just try and go as through the middle of shit as possible. But what about, what about, did you lie to your friends? Did you let them know how bad it was or did... No, I never let anybody Did you give know. any hints? I, the only person that knew how bad it was was Richard. Wow. And Richard called me, this was uh, four days before liver and, and everything and he was in the, and basically in hospice. He was in the parking lot about to check himself into a uh, rehab 
And I was like, yeah, man, I'm drinking like two bottles a day. And he's like, me too. We were both drinking hard alcohol about the same level. And, you know, like I was like at one and a half, I would say two and more because I was also drinking in bars every day, going to bars, walking to bars, you know. But I was the type of guy, like, if I invited somebody over to play with their kids on a Sunday, you know, everyone's having a beer in the backyard. I'm having a beer, but I'm sneaking into different rooms of the house and taking poles, which are up to three shots of vodka at a time, as they're just out there having one beer. You know, like, so that's the kind of lying I was doing where it's like I was constantly drinking and everyone around me was doing normal shit, and I was trying to fit in with them. Yeah. All right, moving on, because the next song... Might be one of the saddest songs ever written. Lonesome Tears, and it grabs you right from the intro. Peter, play the intro. Uh, I think that you know what's funny, and I and I just thought of this as I as I thought about the song because at the ending, once again, it becomes this heavily orchestrated. Just I don't want to call it a, a mess or a noise. It's just it, it it's overwhelming. It is it's so big. And I who think, did that? Do you think that's his dad? But I th- also think that the way the song builds from this slow draw into that noise is just like the tears start falling, and then as the lyrics get heavier. He, be, he starts crying harder. So he goes from just tearing up to crying to by the end of it, he's weeping. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Who out there? Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist, Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Uh... Beck is a big fan of classic country, and uh, he, when he said that he wrote this song in the vein of like a standard sad ballad by Hank Williams, mm. um, who who's influenced you the most? I would say Towns Van Zant. Really? Yeah. Um, why? His songwriting it just it hits me in a level that I just it. Every song, really, every single song that he wrote, even you you listen to it more than once or twice, you realize this is such a deeper thing than could have ever been pulled from one listen. Yeah, and and his voice, the simplicity of his voice, the carefreeness of his voice, and I really love a Travis pick. I love, I just love that style of guitar. So Towns Van Zandt, what about comedically? Um, Martin Mole was a big influence on me. Um, Colonel Mustard? Yeah. From fucking Clue? Holy shit. I well, he, he did stand up 
um, early on, like Steve Martin era, like before Steve Martin was playing stadiums, and they ended up becoming roommates. They even did a tour together called Steve Martin Mole. Oh, wow. And um, uh, this show, Fernwood, which is uh, Fred Willard is the co-host of it, like, you know, the Andy Richter to, to Conan sort of a thing. Yeah. It's a fake talk show in a fake town, like a daytime talk show that they do that was hilarious. And his cadence is what I adapted immediately. I just just hearing him talk and it's saying things that mean nothing but sounded like it was really heartfelt you know and like and the way his looks and and just that i just remember hearing it like i want to do that i want to be able to have a conversation that sounds like i'm being very serious and surprise people in a way with a line that they would have never assumed would follow that emotion yeah you know yeah and so that's what i started doing in my stand up was I started doing it open mics for poetry um, and I would go up as a poet and and um, I would do like a serious like taking myself seriously and then add in my you know whether it was I was the character was like his leg hurt or something and he was hard having a hard time getting through the poem <laughs> just, <laughs> just all that kind of stuff but I wanted to I wanted to kind of mess with people that were expecting something different and that's what I felt like Martin Mole was really good at. Right now, I'm having a good time too with my kid um, and with jokes because I, I'm not like a Jim Gaffigan type of like guy out there talking about like being a, a parent. Yeah. But I do have some like wisdom that my son has asked about or things that, that it, it really has opened my eye up to like comedy oh, again. I, I'm so excited. I about bet it. that is just a well of like kids say the most ridiculous well, and, and they like, ask they, they ask like yeah because they because they don't fucking know anything yet yeah like when my a bird flew into the window of his playroom died hit the ground we went out we're looking at it and i realized as we're looking at this dead bird he doesn't fucking know what death is yeah and and i my first thought was i'd rather explain windows to birds than death to a five-year-old <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is great. All right, let's move on. Going into the next song, Lost Cause. Uh, play the first verse, Peter. Sorry, guys. I cut through bone. Make it hard. It's nice because it's a simple pattern, and then the chorus hits with majors, and it hits on the four rather than the, the one, you know, when they get into the chorus chord-wise, and I do like that. I like yeah. it when they don't just rely on if it's in the key of C, like everything's going C. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, this was this was the first of two singles released from Sea Change, and I actually can see why, because it really showcases, I think, the bleak attitude, and the and it's got this ambience-drenched acoustic, like, ethos that that i feel is the whole album mm -hmm. sound and i feel like this captures it so it so, says what the album is exactly it really does yeah. say here and it's beautiful oh it's gorgeous all right i found this online and i feel like this sums up perfectly what this song is uh so someone wrote it's hard to keep going when you give your all and you don't receive it back love is about equality but some people just don't understand that you can't change them no matter how much you fight for it and I just got to say, perfectly said, Cream Pie 47. You fucking nailed it, Cream Pie 47. Yeah. I mean, when he sings, there's too many people you used to know. They see you coming, they see you go. And are we thinking that this is either, a, this could be a baker or a porn star? <laughs> Cream Pie 47. I'm, I'm hoping it's a combination of both. Yeah. Um, 
But it's even the even like when he's saying uh, he's talking about L.A. He's like, you know, they see you coming, they see you go, they know your secrets, you know theirs. This town is crazy, nobody cares. I mean, like imagine you know Beck going through a breakup, surrounded by these L.A. socialites and yeah. and hipster hipsters, like. And it's hard for people to, um, I don't know if you felt this, but about the death, uh, um, about anything, but people that you run into. I'm writing a, sh- a, a film about it right now, but here's, I'm a guy that you barely know that knows that your friend just died. And it's like two weeks into it and you see him at the grocery store and this is what he says. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, dude. It's like, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. Oh, I've experienced how, that. How are you doing, how man? How are you doing? Is it good? Really? Are you doing Because really what I want is, hey, man, what's going on? Yeah. Just fucking normality. And I realized that the way, the best way to, to well, my friend one time, I was telling him about this, and he said that somebody did that to him um, about a divorce. And he goes, that's, he goes, start over. Go walk away, come back, start over come in with a different intro oh. <laughs> and to the person like just don't and, yeah and I realize that people really want to talk about themselves so in some way them asking you how is it going in that way is them feeling like they are looking like someone who cares so it's all about them so my first response is great what are you doing what are you what's going on with you yeah. and then oh they're like the light goes off like I get to talk about me <laughs> yay <laughs> Well, I just booked this show and I'm doing this. Did I tell you about the director that I'm drinking today? <laughs> uh, great song. Uh, love it to death. Uh, thanks again for that quote, Cream Pie 47. Thank you, Cream Pie. All right. End of the day. Uh, so, all right, so I have to clear something up. For years, uh, I've been getting the lyrics in this song wrong. I love this record, but I never actually read the lyrics until I made this pass on it. Uh, so I want to get your opinion on what you think he's saying. Uh, play the first couple lines of uh, the verse in 16 seconds, Peter. I've seen the end of the day come too soon. Not a lot to say, not a lot to do. All right, what do you think he said right there? I mean, it's obvious I've seen the end of the Decum Tusum. I've thought for so long it was, I've seen the end of the day contusion. Uh, but it's actually, I've seen the end of the day come too soon. Uh, so just in case anybody else was wondering. And that's, that's his problem with being able to hold his, his semen in. Yeah, dude, 100%. Mm-hmm. He comes too soon. <laughs> Yeah. Um, That's my favorite porn, by the way. Uh, uh, pre-com? I just, I just pre-com type porn? in come too quick, <laughs> come too soon. The whole scene is just, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, it's, just Whoa. Lot, it's just a lot of like, that never yeah. happens. Yeah. Just that never happens porn. The, I, love, I love the idea of someone coming and being like, sorry, that always happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, where are we? We went from end of day. Ooh. It's all in your mind. Play, yeah. play my favorite part at 155. So this is a remake of a Beck single from 1995, and it's the only song not about his breakup uh, with Lee Lyman. Uh, and after strumming it in the studio, one day producer Nigel Godrich told him they had to record it for this record. So this one almost didn't make it on there, and it doesn't mm-hmm. follow the same suit uh, about it. But I, I love 
that this song is about wanting to remain friends with an ex, which I guess is still, you know, in the vein of this record. I don't understand why he would fight him and be like, nah, man, this is like, I'm, I was going to put this on the album. He's like, dude, it's about an ex. But also, great song. String, mm-hmm. arrangements, string arrangements really make oh, the song. Beautiful. Yeah. Can you maintain being friends with some past lovers? Um, you know, I... Nah, it it hasn't ever really ever worked out so much like that. Yeah, um, and that's because I'm super abusive. <laughs> really? Are you, I can, I can, <laughs> no, I think you, like you got a good backhand, fucking McEnroe. <laughs> I think that it really comes down to I'm a hard lover, and then it just like it gets like people's feelings are hurt, and it gets tough. Yeah, you know. And I've never tried to go back into. I never tried out of respect. I like just walk away even though that's hard and you know that's been the best way that people have treated me in the sense where they walk away where they like are really like blocked 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 i love you but you're blocked i'm sorry i just can't see you i can't hear from you if i do then i'm gonna think about you and i'm gonna listen to sea change (laughs) (laughs) that's all i need all right uh that goes on to round the bend so the next two songs i think are probably the saddest ones on the record yeah uh Beck is a huge fan of Nick Drake, and this song to me sounds like Riverman. Uh, play Minute 52, Peter. So this song is less specifically about the heartbreak of love and more about life in general and it, how, how life in general puts us through the ringer. So just to give us a break from the heaviness mm-hmm. of this album, uh, when did you first feel like your career uh, was taking off? Uh, I got I got a thousand bucks to play at University of Washington opening for Eugene Merman. Really? And that was like I got flown up. You know, my manager came At the time. It was like a big deal. And I just remember thinking like, OK, you know, here we go. And then not too long after I got the tonight show, which was big. But then the part that really solidified was I, two weeks after I got the tonight show, they asked if I wanted to do it again. And so I thought, okay, this is working. All right. Uh, already dead. I, I honestly have to say, this is probably my favorite song on the record. And I had no idea. This is it, your favorite. Wow. This, I, it's just, as I've been listening to it on this pass, which is the thousandth and one time I've listened to this record, it's I love the golden age, but there's there's something about Ari Dead, and I think it's something that like I can connect with because this is about being in a loveless relationship. It's mm-hmm. about it's about being with somebody that you once loved and now it is just it's dead. You already know it's dead. It's over. You just need to end it. So yeah. Uh, I've been there, man. I've been there in two relationships, two heavy relationships. And I also think the first verse sums it up perfectly. Here, uh, Peter, play the first verse. Time wears away All the pleasures of the day All the treasures You could hold I, I think why I 
we put these relationships and we take breakups so hard is because the most valuable thing that you have in this life is time. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a relationship with somebody, you're giving them the majority of your time. So that's why, you know, people break up and they just feel it's not just that I lost this person that I was with it's that I just wasted because at that moment when you break up you're like I just wasted five six years of my life you don't realize knowing yeah but you don't realize that you've grown and you've changed and you've taken all this good stuff you just don't feel that yet you don't get that until you've gone through the depression and the sadness of the breakup so that's why learning that you can do that at any moment and actually understanding Getting it done with takes could save you six t- months to a year of your life. Now, in the moment when you think it, do it, you yeah. know, and that's the thing. It's like the longer you live in that purgatory of where the fuck am I? It just it, it's it's yeah. Have you have this you is why this song is so fucking dark? Have you ever stayed in a relationship past its uh, past its time? Sure. I mean, isn't that how all of it happens? Yeah. Right. I guess at some point I'm they. uh yeah, my relationships have always usually ended on a like okay, we need to like not see each other for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we need to really separate each other. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, I'm I'm really bad at breaking up. I'm really bad at 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 hurting somebody or telling somebody something they might not want to hear. Um when really that's such an egotistical narcissistic way to look at it like they, you don't they, want to be they the actually guy. might want to hear it. <laughs> they need to hear yeah. it. No, no but they, they might. They actually might be thinking the same. Like you're maybe not the only one here that's like has clarity. Uh, I love this song. I really do love it. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music, or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. All right. Sunday Sun, uh, great song. Um, I think the star of this song is the piano riff. Peter, play a little bit of it. I don't know if you get the same same feelings from the song. I, I feel like the song is almost Arabic. It's mm-hmm. a very like I know this is the wrong word to use, but like a very biblical feel. And that's like a, that's done by a specific chord. You know, like sometimes you can just hear a chord and you're like, like if you play like a C minor followed by a G, you're like, oh, this is Radiohead. <laughs> like yeah. it really is. This is Radiohead, yeah. and that's the same thing with the, with that that chord structure in there. Yeah, uh, that's how we're trained. Great song. Uh, it's mostly instrumental, and I think that's kind of why, uh, out of everything on the album, everything else is, is very lyric-heavy, but it's about the healing light at the end of the tunnel that is referred to in the first song, The Golden Age. Um, all right, let's go on to Little One. 
Uh, this one actually, this is your favorite, right? It's, yeah, it's up. It's in the top three. All right, sure. so go ahead and just dive into why you love this song so much. I mean, I've said it before. It's the it's. I love this song because of the juxtaposition of the verse to chorus, uh, the going from the minor to the major. It's it's a relief, you know. For me, when I hear a minor chorus, it causes tension in me. It causes like this. Give me an example. Up. Give me an example of a minor chorus. Or my, a minor verse. A minor verse. Give yeah. Me, give me, I mean, like, a lot of a lot of songs have it. You know, like a lot of people play with it. But like, um, like the beginning of Band on the Run, like those kind of okay. things where you're like trapped in this like bottle, and you're like, okay, we're down. Just let it out. Fucking drop it back into second gear and just go, man. Yeah. Why are we trugging along here? And that and that to me creates a beautiful song. It's like this like relief. Yeah. And then it's back. And then you're feeling it again, and but you know there's gonna there's you know, now you know there's relief ahead. Maybe that's why. All right, so this this used to be my least favorite song on the record for a long time. I would skip over this one. This section saves the song. Go ahead and play it for me, Peter. So that's the bridge, I think, right? Yeah, I just yeah. think that this section just saves the song for me because then it goes yeah. back to that minor yeah. that it's just, it, it's just, it never, out of everything on this record, man, it's such a perfect album. It's the mm -hmm. one thing that I was just like, I don't like that guitar strumming. I even well, don't here's like what I think you, here's what I'm going to call out that I think you like about that. What? Is the harmony that's coming in. Sure. I think that that adds a color where you're like, oh, okay, you know, that like high harmony that's going uh, against it yeah. is nice. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, it almost sounds like a comforting lullaby to yeah. protect his inner child. It's just great. Um, all right, now we've come to the last song on the record, Side of the Road. This continues uh, this journey, and I think it ends with a little bit of hope after mm -hmm. what we've been through. Um, this is another driving like song uh and it's about letting his pain and his past relationship pass him and and i love that metaphor uh and he references the type of advice he would get from a friend in support so play uh two minutes in Let it pass on let it pass on the side of the road mm -hmm. you know you just that's that's life is just that it takes time yeah. you know it's i every every breakup every uh death everything it's like you know there's still a little piece of that inside of you like every relationship i've ever been in it's like i've been able to look back and be like be like yeah you know maybe that was three years but but man like i really grew or she, or she helped get my life back together or whatever it was and even with Ange, it's like i'm able to look at that now as this beautiful thing that helped me appreciate mm -hmm. how beautiful life is and and how to live in the moment and enjoy all of it yeah and you could there's a lot of things you could pass on the side of the road you know an accident a beautiful pasture yeah a fucking banging city that you're about to enter you know what i mean like there's yeah. so many things but being able to drive by something and realizing you don't need everything, you can't hold on to everything. I mean, it's every time I drive by Kohl's, I'm like, I should stop in there and get, like, good deals on cheap clothing. Like, I should always do oh, that. Oh, they're talking about the, uh, <laughs> I thought what, you were Cole? talking about Kohl's, the, the French dip place downtown. Best French dip. Uh, they say they originated the French dip sandwich. Really? Yeah. Is it worth going to? Yeah, especially if you get the pastrami with Swiss. Oh, That's what you want. Where is it? It's on, like, 6th and... 
something. All right, we're ending the podcast early. I'm going to get a French dip. All right, but let's talk about it as advice. Uh, to mm-hmm. whose advice do you always seek and listen? My friend Kevin. <laughs> Is that yeah. like it's my brother too, Andrew. He's very wise. Um, and it's it's these people, and it's always something too that I've already come to in my mind. It's it's funny. It's like the thing that you need to do is drastic sometimes, but it's really not drastic. It's just the thing that needs to be done, and it feels drastic because in the moment, yeah, it's a big change all of a sudden. But like, what really needs to be done to clean your side of the street to make sure that you're caring about other people as you maneuver through this crazy fucked up life that we're all dealing with our own shit on the same level in a different way? Yeah, um, I'll run things by my friend Kevin Flynn like he's my writing partner just like he knows he knows the right thing you know he he always you know and it's like it's like even when I when I went into rehab I was like on the phone with him drunk and crying like what about our pitches we had five pitches the next week to sell a network tv show and he said we're gonna cancel them you're not right you can't go into them and I knew that and that's one thing I was holding on to. It's like, I'll, I'll just make it through this and then I'll go and then oh, I'll make yeah, it through yeah. the holidays and then I'll do that. Yeah. And then a year after I got sober that we still have this whole pitch. I just called this producer friend of mine and I said, Hey, I've got a show. I'm going to email it to you, send him the whole package. And now Disney's making it, you know, it's oh, like, Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's, so it was meant to be, you know, yeah. it's that thing where you do the right work and you hold on to things and then you give it to time. You give it time to where you're in the right place to actually go for it. Yeah. You know, oh, dude, if you would have gone in there like the way you were, no, they would have looked at you and been like, fuck, no, that's dude. That was why I mean, I sold my show on on Oxycontin. Like I literally was like in downtown L.A. buying dope and then went in there and just nailed it. But throughout that next six, seven months that we were getting ready to make it, it was when I was a full blown like addict. I was a functioning addict, but I was an addict. And Comedy Central looked at me and they're like, we can't put this guy on television. He looked like shit. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So. I mean, I don't know if that's 100% true and why I was cut out of the series as much as I was. But in my mind, I've taken responsibility for it and been mm-hmm. like, no, it's it's because of that. And that makes me not want to do it. And But also at the same time, it's like, you know, all of that stuff is meaningless if you're not okay. So I'll ask my great. dad, too. I'll go to my dad, too, for advice. Yeah. What's the best advice he's ever given you? <sighs> Up the butt, no babies. <laughs> Up the butt. No babies. <laughs> I don't Thanks, even dad. know. I don't even know. But he, when I know that my dad has my back, you know, that's some people you go to advice to hear the hard things. And some people you go to advice for that, just to hear them say, like, I understand what you're going through. And I'm, I, you're, you're okay, man. You're okay. Yeah. And my, that's what my dad will give me. Yeah. All right. You want to <laughs> do some facts and get out of here? Yeah. Facts and facts with the facts and facts and facts and facts, facts and facts. All right. This album was released, and this is so great that you brought this up earlier. This album was released with four different covers featuring the same photo of Beck, but with different artwork designed by digital artist Jeremy Blake. Um, I've only seen the one. Yeah, me too. Which is funny because I've, I'm like, really? I didn't, I've only seen the pink one or like more magenta. Uh, what are the different faces one can expect from you depending on when they catch you? What are your personalities? You got a, you got a bunch of them? You got a bunch of Arthur Flex? What do you mean by that? Like, I don't know. Like different. I think there's some days. Well, now it's different because I am. All right, I'll give you this. So 
I'm not like this anymore, but one of the most profound moments of my life that has changed everything was I go to this CrossFit gym. This is before I started mm-hmm. working on myself. This is before I started meditating. I, I was right at the, at the, like, like on the, on the, the verge of an existential crisis, a really existential breakthrough. And I go to this CrossFit gym and they have this party there and the owner of it makes these chicken wings a very maryland style so he puts old base seasoning on all of them and Yum. i would never go to do fellowship with any of these crossfit people but because of these wings i'm going <laughs> yeah because they're so good and there's this there's this like uh not uh serbian girl named uh named what is her name doesn't make a difference let's call her fucking angela and and we always talk and she dresses in all black and wears like iron maiden t-shirts and she comes up to me and i mean she's got like a thick serbian accent she's like josh you are a very interesting person and i'm like why and she goes well some days you come in here and it is like the light of the universe is shining through you and you are so funny and you are helping us with our positions and our lifts and you are just such a great, wonderful person to be around. But then on other days, it is as if the sound of our breathing makes you want to put us in a Siberian prison camp so we die slow (laughs) death. And that was the first time somebody called it out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I never realized I wore my emotions on. I just carried around all my pain body wherever I went. And on some days when my career was going well or, or like I was maybe dating a chick or whatever the fuck it was, I was in a good mood. But there was that other day where I just took it out on the universe of how unhappy I was. Yeah, I, I, I think I've had the same thing. I mean, I because of stand up and because of television performance i um am really good at putting things aside compartmentalizing and just saying okay this happened let's put it let's leave it in this room let's go do this job and be good and happy and then let's come back to it but in life i don't do that at all you know in life i'm constantly feeling and expressing i'm generally an optimistic happy person to be around people generally kind of like, wow, this brings a nice little light into the room, yeah. you know? But um, I have been told many a time by many of people, my writing partner, when I used to do a talk show and we had like five to sometimes 20 people like volunteering to be a part of it. He's like, Nick, when you walk in and you're in a bad mood, it takes everyone down. You are you are the backbone. You're the leader of this group. Yeah. And you need to keep that in mind as you do this. And in that I realized like, yes, being an open, transparent person is great. And it, people like that. However, in different situations, you have to be able to put on a different face. You have to be able to put on a, hey, it doesn't matter. Yeah, things, nothing's ever good with anybody, right? We're all going through the same shit. Yeah. But, hey, we're only going to be in Target this one time. You know, like I, I think about it like family, like going home for Christmas or something where it's like, when I leave, I wonder what my family thought of me. If they hadn't, like this last time, they hadn't seen me for a year and a half. through sobriety and all this stuff I just kind of kept in my own place and as I left I wonder if they thought well Nick's getting older Nick seems happy Uh, he got angry that one morning when you know whatever you know you think about that stuff and so I always try and premeditate as I go in like okay remember that you're going to be concerned about this when you leave so let's keep a solid front the whole time you know and you're trying to do that and and it doesn't always work you know all right last fact and then we're out of here 
as Beck pondered in 2002, it's an interesting question. Are we more ourselves when we're happy or are we more ourselves when we're sad? What do you think? Happy. Why? Well, because there is this artistic thought of the sad guy and he's really dealing with the demons and, you know, he's aware of all these things around him. But really, you're pretty unaware when you're sad. You're pretty unaware of the way out. You're pretty unaware that you're controlling this feeling. You know, you're actually choosing to go down yes. this path. Yes. And so that's a distraction. To me, if you're actually just fully in the moment, what is there not to be happy about? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're fully aware of what life means, what you are, what your privilege is compared to others, like, you should be pretty damn happy. But if you're measuring yourself against people that have more privilege than you, then yeah, that's going to fucking bum you up, man. And that's like a, that's going to make all of it. Like it's going to make your depression. It's going to, you won't be actually creating art at that point. No, it's, I couldn't agree with, with more with what you said right there. That is, is you have everything inside of you to be happy. You were happy as a kid. You can be happy now. If you're sad, you choose that anxiety and excitement. Uh, somebody told me this and it could be so wrong, but the only difference between anxiety and excitement, because they're the same feeling in your body, is yeah. the way that you choose to take it. So you could choose to be anxious and scared, like 10 minutes before you go up on The Tonight Show, or you could choose to be like excited, like, oh my fucking God, where am I right now? I'm in fucking 30 Rock? Yeah. Holy shit. This is an anxiety, man. You're fucking stoked. Yeah. Um, auditions are hell. Oh, yeah, they're the worst. They're hell. You walk in, you're interviewing for a job, you've, you've, you're not getting paid, you've worked your ass off, it's embarrassing, you're going to bear something to people that are going to maybe judge you and talk about you, and maybe the tape will someday get online and people will make fun of you. Who knows, you know? God, I, I never heard it broken down that with that many details. Jesus. Yeah. I just thought it was like it's you go in the room fucking, and then it was over. You it's don't brutal. Get it. Yeah. And then that person that's now a casting assistant is an executive at NBC, and they're like, yeah, I saw him once and it was a fucking joke, you know? Yeah. So um, after I had my son, I was really feeling that way. Like nothing was, everything was meaningless. These auditions are meaningless. I couldn't go in. I couldn't have the confidence. And a therapist I was seeing at the time gave me this tool that he made up on the spot. And now I've taught so many performers and people and they use it. And it's called the snap rule. And, oh, I need and when he, when I, when they come out and they say, Josh, Nick, it's your turn. And they, you follow them down the hallway to go through the door. As I'm walking down the hallway and into that door, I snap twice. The first snap is because I'm a comedian. That's, I've created that. That's me. I am a comedian, and they're lucky that I've decided maybe I can try acting. They get to see a comedian right now for free. Yeah. I'm a comedian. They can't take that from me. And the second snap is I'm a father. They can't fucking take that from me. These are my things. I own these. So no matter what happens in that room, I'm walking out with those things. Yeah. And that just puts me in a place of like, all right, who cares? The fuck do I do? I don't have a kid. Yeah. What, you find your two my snaps. my second snap? You find your two snaps. You find it. The dog. I got the, a dog? Did you? All right. Fuck yeah, dude. I got a lack of dog. They can't take this dog away from you. I, I mean, mean, unless, you I know, mean, somebody they calls. I mean, they yeah. Actually, pretty easily. It's like, <laughs> and people wouldn't look after it. Like, they take your, <laughs> they take your son. But that's a big deal. People they are gonna look. Yeah, that's, so many people are like, "I lost my dog," and we're just like, "Whatever." It's like we don't give a fuck. I, bet, I wonder if dogs ever look at kids and they're like, "You get Amber Alerts," you know? We don't have that. 
Uh, <laughs> no one gives a fuck if we're not. No around. one gives a fuck. All right, <laughs> Nick, this was fantastic, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Thank buddy. you. What an incredible episode, am I right? I mean, we could have talked about this record for hours. For all things Nick, go to nickthune.com, and that's where you can find tickets for his sad music, sad comedy tour. Check out his two specials on Amazon Prime, Folk Hero and Good Guy, and find him on all social media at Nick Thune. Don't forget to subscribe to The 500 on Spotify. Now, we just listened to Beck from 2002. For new music this week, our music director, Matt Pinfield, selected Rex Orange County. Alexander O'Connor, or better known by his stage name, Rex Orange County, is an England-born recording artist who, like Beck, has successfully fused bedroom pop, hip-hop, and jazz. He's worked with artists ranging from Randy Newman to Tyler, the Creator. He released a total of three albums to date, and his latest album, Pony, entered the Billboard charts at number three. Listen to Pony and the rest of Rex Orange County's music now on Spotify, and you can find a link to that on our website. And if you want to have your music featured on the 500 Podcast, send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Put the album and artist that influence you in the subject line. Next week is Nirvana Week with their 1993 album In Utero. So y'all got some homework to do. Listen on Spotify. Stay fleecy, Dougal Dougal. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. Next chapter podcasts.